according to the promise. According to the promise, now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under <clears throat> the guardians and stewards until the time set by the father. <clears throat> until the time that's set by the Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery, but under the element forces of the world. Verse 4. <laughs> but when the completion of time had come, God sent forth, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. Now we crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but now you're a son. And if you're a son, then you're and there. Wow, what a word. The completion of time had come. I was thinking about that phrase for quite some time now. Pastor Ralph and I have talked about it. When, t when the time had come, when the time had become complete, and I began to think about that this week, and the first time in my life that really amounted to anything. You know, you think about, we, we're waiting on a, on a time schedule. And uh, man, I remember whenever I was a child, I would wait. I would wait on a time. <clears throat> the time that I'd wait to be complete was the school year. And I'd wait on Christmas. And man, it seemed like when I was a boy that Christmas only came every five years. Because it took that long for that year to pass. Now that I'm a dad, it seems like it just happened last month. We didn't celebrate Thanksgiving, it was Christmas last month. And time flies. A year is just like that. Can you believe another year is gone already? It seems like just yesterday we were here having our January family meeting, planning, praying, predicting, believing the things for 2012 in our faith family. And now that year is spent. The time has passed. I remember as a child, it seemed like it would take forever for that time of completion to come. You would anticipate those things. When you're waiting on a time to be fulfilled, there is great anticipation. I remember as a child, I would anticipate waiting to go to the parish fair. I don't know why now as an adult, not much to that, but that was a big deal for me as a boy. I mean, to get to go to the Cotton Festival, come on somebody. I mean, I thought I was living large. You was waiting on that time of completion to come. And it seemed like it would never come. Am I the only one who ever felt that way? <clears throat> now God 
had sent a promise. Israel was in a mess. The nation of Israel was in turmoil. The kingdom had been divided. And the kings were wicked. They were getting ready to make treaties with kings and rulers from other nations that would have an impact on the nation of Israel in a negative way. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody in here today, but kind of like the day and times where we live. And God looked down and he saw that whole situation with a wicked king and a wicked ruler who had turned their back on everything, and he told Isaiah, he said, you go tell the king of Israel that I am giving notice today, that I am fed up with it, and I am sending a virgin to give birth to a son whose name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, the good news is that God put them on notice. The bad news is that God operates on his own time schedule. And it took a very long time for that promise to happen. Matter of fact, the king didn't see it happen. Isaiah didn't see it happen. The next king didn't see it happen. The next prophet didn't see it happen. Nor the next king, nor the next prophet. But God gave a promise that day that he was going to come and establish his kingdom. And to his kingdom there would be no end. And so for all this time period, they were waiting on the time of completion to come. And so Paul is writing this baby church in Galatia. And here's what he's saying. I know that you think you find yourself in a crisis. I know you think that the world is spinning out of control. I know you think that everything may be coming undone. But God is in control. Aren't you glad today that the Mayans don't have anything to do with the existence of the eternal time? They may have control over the calendar. But I am telling you today, the one who never sleeps and never slumbers, the one who walks the dark hills, the one who stays up for the midnight shift, the one who put this whole thing into existence is the father of time, the keeper of time. Bad news for us is one day to us is a thousand years to him. A thousand years to him is just like one day to us. That messes up our 24-hour period, doesn't it? And so he's writing this church of Galatia, and he's saying, you know, you've got this promise, but you're a baby church, and you're a baby believer. But he's saying it's just like in the earthly realm that though a father may leave an inheritance for the children... Even though they're a child and they own everything, they cannot grasp the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the empire that had been left to them by the Father until the time of completion and maturity comes in their life. Matter of fact, Paul writes it this way. He says, in your life, when you're a child, you may own everything, but you don't have control over anything. Why? Because you don't have the ability or the wherewithal to control it and to determine the direction that it should go. So what the father does is he places someone as a steward, a guardian, a watchman of the estate. 
that would take care of the estate until the time of completion would have come. Now, the Galatian people understood that. They identified with something in the natural. And so then Paul shifts to another time of completion. And he says, do you remember that at the appointed time, the appointed time, not under the influence of Isaiah, not under the influence of Haggai, not under the influence of Habakkuk, not under the influence of David, but under the influence of God. At that appointed time in history, God sent the virgin to have a baby who would become Jesus. What a Savior. You see, in the middle of the crisis, there was a cradle. And in that cradle, the Bible says this in Galatians 4 and 4. It's so interesting. But when the completion of time had come, God sent. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. It wasn't man's decision. Man did not summon Jesus. But God sent Him. It was not a council of religious leaders that said, God, you know we're in a mess down here. Why don't you send your son to fix it? No sir, no ma'am. It was God's plan. That's why John wrote over in the book of Revelation, is a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that religion could not redeem. That religion could not satisfy, but it had to be a relationship with him. Adam and Eve's moral failure did not catch God by surprise, and God did not have to come up with a plan B when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. No, sir, no, ma'am. God understood it. But understand this, all my Calvinist brothers and sisters, understand this, that God doesn't want a bunch of robots serving him but he wants us to serve him by choice God's not interested in having a shotgun wedding at the marriage supper of the lamb you know what I'm talking about where you're there because somebody's got a gun to your back and you're marrying that other person oh no God wants it to be a love relationship a descending from on high it came down to earth where we are and we fall in love with Jesus See, God had to give Adam and Eve a choice just like we have. And in that situation, we begin to make that decision about what we must do. And God knew that man would need a Savior. And Jesus knew that one day at an appointed time, He would come to earth to be born in a manger. And we see that in that whole world there was a cradle. It wasn't a cradle made out of beautiful white wicker furniture. It wasn't made out of the greatest wood, but it was a lowly feeding trough. The Bible says this in Luke 2 and 7. It says, And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling snuggly clothes and laid him in a feeding trough. Because there was no room in the inn. There was a cradle. There was a manger that became a cradle. And that manger that day began to take on a new ownership. 
It began to take on new life. It began to take on new direction. It was no longer something just holding the feed for the animals of the world. But it was now holding the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was holding God in the flesh. In the middle of the situation there was a cradle. And that cradle came at the appointed time. It came at the time. Oh, listen, it had been anticipated for years upon years upon years. Matter of fact, in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, And these all died, having not received the promise, but they seen it afar off. They died in anticipation looking to Calvary. They were looking to a picture of the manger. They were looking to a picture of the cross. They were looking to a picture of the resurrection. Now you and I, we're not looking in a picture of things to come, but we're looking at a portrait of things fulfilled. We know that Jesus came and was born in that cradle. But I want you to know something, that manger, that cradle, that throne room, that morning, it didn't stop there. Because in the middle of the cradle, that was where his journey began. But I'll tell you something else in this passage of Scripture. Not only do we see the cradle that Paul was teaching the church of Galatia about, but he was teaching about the cross. Look here in this verse right here, if you will, in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. But when the time of completion had come, when it had come, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law. Born under the law. Why was he born under the law? To meet all the religious requirements. To show that he was under the submission of the, the law and the religion of that day. <laughs> born under the law to redeem those under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive adoption. That word redeem means to be purchased, to be atoned for, to be given. And what's interesting here in this passage of Scripture is that, listen, it wasn't the manger morning. It wasn't that Christmas morning that redeemed us. It was that Christmas morning that began the journey that would take him. You know, they have a thing called the Via Della Rosa in Jerusalem. And what it is, it was the last journey of Jesus from Pilate's Hall all the way up to Golgotha. But I'll tell you something today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the Via Della Rosa did not start in Pilate's Hall. It started in a stall room that morning. It started in a barn. It started surrounded by animals. It started in a lowly feeding trough that morning. The journey to Calvary began that morning when God put on flesh and came and dwelt among us is where it began. Oh, yes. And from there it took him to Egypt. And out of Egypt, to fulfill scriptures, here comes Jesus. From Jesus, it took, from there it took him back to Nazareth. <coughs> then out of Nazareth, it took him to places like Samaria. It took him to places like Capernaum. It took him to places like Jerusalem. It took him all across the countryside. Because he was on a journey... And he was on a journey to touch and build relationships with as many people as he could. Now listen here very carefully to this. Jesus was not signing up people for religion. 
He was not trying to make them religious. He was trying to make them righteous. And the way that he would make them righteous is not by signing them up for a church membership somewhere, but by engrafting them into the body of Christ and letting them have a relationship with him. Religion is a tool that God can use to move us in that direction to that relationship. But I'll tell you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, beware of anybody who says they have the monopoly on the relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because that relationship starts in the heart. God's not interested in you in, in religion producing a bunch of religious zealots who in turn produce robots who are formal and rigid in everything they do. God's interested in developing a relationship. A relationship. For this reason, when the time of completion had come, God sent His Son into the world. Say that with me. His Son into the world. Come on, church. His Son into the world. One more time. His Son into the world. And he put them under the law, placed them under all, get this, this is good stuff. He placed them under the subjection of the law. He placed them under the subjection of the religious group so that he might redeem those out of religion. Can I say that again? He placed Jesus under the authority of religion. You say, oh no, pastor, it says under the law. Well, where do you think the law came from? The law was given in the Old Testament. It was the religion of the day. He placed him under the authority of the religion of that day. So that he might in turn liberate, redeem those who were under that religion. Those who were under that authority. Those who were under that law. God's not interested in you being religious. He wants you to be righteous. God's not interested in you being comfortable in your little denominational headquarters. He's interested in you being courageous and stepping out on the front lines and say, Lord, I just want to be Christ-like. I just want to be Christ-like. Can I just tell you what Peter wrote in his epistle? He says, you're redeemed not by the things inherited from your forefathers and their feudal way of life in 1 Peter 1 and 18, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of a spotless lamb, that lamb of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Jesus began the Via Della Rosa journey that, that Christmas morning, and it didn't start in Pilate's Hall. It started in a manger. From the manger, he went to the cross. Look at what it says in Hebrews 9 and 16. Turn there in your Bible, if you will. <coughs> there are several things I want you to underscore. Hebrews 9 and 16. Paul started this whole thing out about talking about a will and a testament. And listen to what he says in verse 16. Where a will exists... The death of the tester must be established. <clears throat> Why? Because no will is enforced until someone dies. <clears throat> For a will is valid only when people die. That's where I got that from. <laughs> Not very deep right there. <laughs> it is never enforced while the tester is living. 
That is why the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. Now stay with me through this because it makes a good point. For when every commandment had been proclaimed by Moses, the religion, to all the people according to the law, the religion, then then he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkling the scroll itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you. Now stay with me, I'm going to make a point. In the same way he sprinkled the tabernacle that they had built and all the vessels of worship with blood according to the religious rule. And it says almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission for sins or forgiveness. Verse 23. Therefore, when when you see a therefore in the Bible, it's it's making a point. If it was necessary for the the copies of the things, the things that are in heaven, the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament was built as a copy of what's in, in heaven. So he's saying if the, if the copy of the things built on earth must be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things with themselves to be purified with a better, say that with me, with a better sacrifice than these. <coughs> For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made by hands. Whoo, come on. Wake up and get that one. Jesus did not enter a sanctuary that had been erected by the heroes of the faith. But he, there was only a model of the true one. But into heaven itself, that he might now, circle that, that means now, that means present tense, <coughs> He might now appear in the presence of God for us. Now, this this verse right here really is a strain to some theology. Because God, I mean, Jesus, I'm not venturing off into theological discussions, but here's what the word says. That now Jesus was born in the manger who was God in the flesh. I don't dispute that. Now appears in the presence of God. Try to figure that out, you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. I mean, I don't understand it. All I know is this is what God said. That now this Jesus, who was born in a lowly manger, who wasn't esteemed highly by men when he was born in that feeding trough, but then all of a sudden, the whole world began to move to where the baby was. And it wasn't just one moment. I mean, come on, church, the wise men didn't come till a couple of years later. For a couple of years, people were coming to the feet of Jesus and worshiping him and honoring him and paying tribute to him. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. And now this God in Hebrews, who was in the flesh, now appears in the presence of God, Jesus, to make intercession. He did not do this. Verse 25, to offer himself many times. Now, this is important. This is some good doctrinal stuff here. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. The blood of another. Underline that and circle that in your Bible. The blood of another. See, the high priest didn't take his blood. 
and make atonement and sprinkle the sanctuary that they had built by hands of humans. He took the blood of a goat. He took the blood of a bull. He took the blood of a ram. He took the blood of a lamb, and he'd go in there, and he would sprinkle it every year. And they would have to do it again and again and again and again. Need I tell you, at the crucifixion and the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, Need not being, need not be as repeated time in, time in, time in, time in. No, he did it once and for all. And here's what he says, that he entered that sanctuary. Otherwise, in verse 26, he would have had to suffer many times. <clears throat> many times he would have to suffer. It means his sacrifice was sufficient for all of our sins. Can I say that again? His sacrifice was sufficient for all of our sins. He doesn't need to die again every time another man sins. No, sir. No, ma'am. He was the flawless sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who laid down his life on the cross. It wasn't taken. He gave it. He appeared, he has appeared one time at the end of age for the removal of sin by sacrificing himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and then after this the judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins for many people, will appear a second time, not to bear the sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. Why? Because salvation is an ongoing process. We were saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. We're moving in that direction. Moving into the kingdom. Our salvation is not complete until we are standing in the presence of this Lamb of God, this great I Am. Yes, sure there was a cradle Christmas morning, but I want you to know the cradle was there and it was designed to move Him to the cross. And the cross was the place that made the difference. The cradle was the place where it began. The cross was the place where the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the appeasement of God was fulfilled that day on Calvary. When the completion of time had come, God's judgment for man's sins was fulfilled on Calvary. That's why Jesus was silent as a lamb before his shearers as Isaiah prophesied he would be. But all about that three o'clock hour in the afternoon when all of the sins of the world was placed upon the back of Jesus Christ. That's why the one who began to say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. The one who was so gentle that he was just saying things like, I thirst. The one who was more concerned about his disciples and his mother than he was himself looked down from the cross and said, Mother, behold your son. <clears throat> it was at that moment that he was moving with gentleness and meekness. But oh, in that three o'clock hour, oh, in the middle of the afternoon when the sun was at its peak, all the lights in heaven went out. The sun did not shine. The earth began to shake. Graves began to pop open. 
The veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, signifying that the priest didn't have to go back there anymore. There was no need for religious showmanship because now it was all about righteousness. It was all about a relationship. You see, between man and God stood a veil in that tabernacle. It wasn't the Holy of Holies was behind that veil. But I am telling you, when the time of completion had come that day, God removed the very barrier and said, Now man, men, women, boys, and girls can have access to a holy God and have relationship with Him from time on in, time on in, giving praise in the house of the Lord for that this morning. <coughs> <coughs> Christmas morning was all about the beginning in our eyes. But I am telling you, it was the beginning of the end for Satan. Why in the world does the world want to expel Christmas? That's why. Because it represents hope. It represents life. It represents freedom. It represents a new beginning. It represents though your sins are red as crimson. He can wash them white as snow. It represents a whole new lifestyle. Isn't it amazing? That while the world rejects Jesus. They long for the very thing that only he can bring. They long for the only thing he can bring, yet they throw away the only one who can bring it. <coughs> Go back to Galatians. We see in this awesome passage of scripture, when the time of completion had come, God sent his boy to be born of a virgin. To be born of a virgin. So that he might redeem us. Which led us to Calvary. Now the only way we could get into this wheel that Paul's talking about. And the wheel that is recorded in Hebrews is the tester. The one who left the wheel had to die. That's why Jesus said to his disciples. Guys it's good for me to go away. It's good for me to go away. The last thing we see in the scripture is. There's the cradle and the cross, but there's the crown. There is the crown. <coughs> Look in verse 6. And because you received the spirit of adoption. Because you adopted, you were adopted as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Crying out, Abba, Abba, Father. <clears throat> Why do most children say, Daddy first? Because it's easier than Mama. It has nothing to do with them loving the dad more than the mother. It's just what's easier to say. The Hebrew people put this phrase in there, Abba. 
Abba. Abba. Because the smallest child could say it. Abba. Abba. It was prohibited from slaves to use the word Abba. Because only an heir, only a child, only someone who had had the direct bloodline, only someone who had the, the, the seal of adoption could use that word Abba. So now in verse 7, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if you're a son, you're an heir. You know what that means? They placed the crown of thorns on the brow of Jesus that day on the cross. But that isn't the last crown. That isn't the last crown. That isn't the last crown. That's what man thought of Jesus. That's how man viewed Jesus. How can we place more excruciating pain on his body? I'm telling you, he is the crown. He is the royal diadem of heaven. And now we are no longer, we no longer have to be slaves to the world. But we can be heirs. And if we're an heir, then we have everything that rightfully comes with that estate. I'm glad that in this verse Paul told the church of Galatia, he's not leaving you by himself. He is depositing in your life the spirit. The spirit. The Spirit of God that will go with you no matter where you go. No matter what you're doing. The Spirit of God will be there. <clears throat> There's a crown one day. He is the crown jewel. Everybody talks about what they're going to do when they get to heaven. With their crowns. Because the Bible says we'll receive crowns. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But there's about five crowns that you can receive. Can I just tell you, when you get to heaven and they present you with your crowns, they say, oh, I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Hey, I don't even believe we're going to be a paying attention to those crowns. Because he is the crown. He is the crown. Have you embraced him? Have you embraced him? He's already been to the headmaster of the orphanage of hell and filled out your adoption papers. He's just waiting on you to sign them. See, the time of completion came for him to be born of a virgin, and he was. The time of completion came for him to be crucified, and he was. The time of completion came for him to be buried, and he was. And the exact time of completion without one deviation came for him to be resurrected, and he was. And the time of completion came for him to ascend back to the Father, and he did. Fifty days later. And the time of completion will come when he will come again. That's what it said in Hebrews. <laughs> He's coming back for all those who have a relationship with him. I heard a great illustration this morning. There was a little girl who longed for 
She loved jewelry. Little bitty girl. <clears throat> I think about six years old. <clears throat> Long for jewelry. And one day she was in Walmart. And she came across this beautiful strand of pearls. And she told her mama that it was $2.50. Everyday low prices. She said, Mom, please get me this. And so the mama, you know, the mama bought the little girl a pearl. <clears throat> and she wore them every day. And this went on a couple of months. And the dad saw how much she loved those pearls. And one day he went into her room. He was tucking her in at bed, into bed at that night. And he said, I sure wish you'd give me those pearls. And she said, oh, no, Dad. This is my pearls. Dad, Dad, you can have my baby dolls. You can have whatever you want. But, Dad, you, you can't have my pearls. And so he just went on about his business. And the next week, went to Tucker in the same thing. He said, honey, I'd sure love to have your pearls. Can we make a swap? What you want to trade? Oh, no, Dad. You can have anything you want. You just can't have my pearls. The third week came the same thing. Then the fourth week came. He tucked her in that night and he kissed her on the forehead. And he said, you know, Daddy sure would like to have those pearls. She said, Dad, if you want those pearls that bad, you can have them. And so she reached over on her little table, grabbed those pearls, and put them in his hand. And he began to cry. And he said, baby, daddy's been waiting all this time for you to give them up so I could give you this. And he reached in his back pocket and pulled out a velvet package, velvet pouch. It had a real strand. And he said, my baby loves something this much. I don't want her to have the fake things. And he gave her the real set. And she traded her costume jewelry for the real deal. I believe this Christmas season, there's some of you. You need to change. You need to trade in that costume religion. For a relationship with a holy God. Jesus didn't die for you to be a slave of religion. A slave to alcohol. A slave to sex. A slave to anything. He died to set you free. And he holds in his hands the real deal. He says all you have to do is come adore me. I'm the only one worthy. I'm the only one worthy. Would you just come adore me? Would you just come and cry out, Abba, Father? With your head bowed right now this morning, would you just ask yourself, what's in my heart? What's in my hand this morning? Church, do you have the real thing? Do you have the real deal or have you substituted 
the fake for the real thing. You have a heavenly father that you can cry out Abba Father to. It doesn't want you parading around in a robe of religion. But he wants to place on you the robe of righteousness. Do you hear today, church? Not a robe of religion, but a robe of righteousness. At the appointed time, he was born in a manger, in a cradle. At appointed time, he hung on the cross. At appointed time, he wants to crown you. And today is your day to be crowned as king. Crown him as king and he crowned you as son today. Father God, in the name of Jesus, all around this room, I believe there are people, God. I believe they have a knowledge of you, Lord. They have a knowledge. They have a, a religious understanding of you. But, Lord, I believe they're in slavery to religion. But today, God, you want to set them free from any religious bondage. And you want them to walk in the freedom of Christ. God, this is the time of completion. This is the appointed hour. I pray all around this room. That lies will begin to be stirred up and changed. I pray, Lord, that somebody will give their heart to you today. I pray that somebody who has a relationship, Lord, but is bogged down in addiction, Lord, bogged down in religion, Lord, would be set free today by the resurrection power of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray today in Jesus' name, Lord, that God, for those of us who are clothed in that robe of relationship, Lord, that robe of righteousness, Lord, that we'll just spend time at this altar this morning thanking you, loving you, adoring you, God, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. As you stand to your feet today, this altar is open. Let's do business with the Lord today. Won't you come? Won't you come right now? Come adore Him. Come crown Him. Come worship Him. He came to the cradle to go to the cross to give you a crown. Won't you come? Won't you come? I know it may be hard where you are. I know you may be walking through hardship and adversity, but I want you to know today that there's power in the name of Jesus for you. Oh, let God have his way in your heart and your life. moment we're going to have communion as part of this invitation. 